I'm Amy Jo Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. Ryan Holiday is on the show today. It's tough to sum him up in a sentence or two. Let's just say, He has a very unique and special mind. This is one of my favorite Why Not Now conversations because I learned so much. Ryan is the author of many books, one of which has had a big impact on me. It's titled Ego is the Enemy. He talks about the difference between being and doing. Do you want to be the important person or do you want to do the important things? If you currently lean more toward the to-be camp, but you want to be in the to-do camp, you will learn some specific things you can do to make that shift. In this episode, Ryan and I discuss many other things. He tells us about the why not now moments that led him to intentionally drop out of college and the corporate world. And Ryan shares with us advice that he would give to his younger self. Before we get started, I want to tell you about my partners at Design Pickle. You know when you're in a pickle because you need a design but you don't have the time or maybe even the skill to do it yourself. Many of us have been there. Design Pickle has been a lifesaver for me. Here's how they're set up. You pay a flat rate monthly fee and you're given a dedicated designer for all of your needs. You heard that right. Unlimited graphic designs, unlimited requests, and the first 14 days are risk-free. You get a full refund if you cancel in the first two weeks. Why not now listeners like yourself get 30% off their first month? You can go to designpickle.com forward slash why not now to redeem the offer. For me, the process has been painless and ego-free. In fact, many of the posts you're seeing on my social media channels were created by my buddies at Design Pickle, specifically Jacob at Design Pickle. That's what's cool is that you get a dedicated designer. I'm on a first name basis with my designer. A mentor once said to me, just because you can doesn't always mean you should. Do what you're uniquely qualified to do. Design Pickle helps me do just that. Go to designpickle.com forward slash why not now to redeem the offer. We tackle the most taboo topics on the Why Not Now show. Oftentimes, you're hearing guests share things they've never shared before. In the spirit of things we don't typically talk about... You should know that the Why Not Now show is supported by Poopery. 
Yep, the original before-you-go toilet spray. It's magic. My friends at Poopery have literally taken the smell out of you-know-what. This pure blend of essential oils stops bathroom odor before it begins. Visit Poopery.com. And Why Not Now listeners get 20% off with code WHYNOTNOW. That's all one word. Also, you can now get Poopery at Target. Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to have you and to be connecting with you. And I have so many questions. But in the spirit of why not now, as things work around here, let's start with the most important one. And that is, will you share a time when you had to ask yourself that question, why not now? And you had a big decision to make and we'll talk it through. Sure. I mean, I feel like it's a question I've asked myself uh, probably at most of the big pivotal moments of my life. But I was trying to think of the first one. When I was uh, 19, might have been 20, I had I had a, I worked for a, a, an author. Um, his name was Robert Greene. Uh, he's, he's my favorite author. He wrote a book called The 48 Laws of Power. I, I was sort of an, an intern, and I had this chance to, to be his sort of full-time research assistant. Um, I, I was on my summer break at the end of my sophomore year of college. I also had an internship at a talent agency in Beverly Hills. And so sort of at the same time, these sort of two temporary positions offered me, you know, full-time employment. But it came at the, at the, it, it was not compatible with going back to school. So I'd already, you know, this is towards the end of the summer. I already had the apartment that I was going to move into back in college. You know, I was, uh, my girlfriend was there. What I thought, you know, this is a fun thing and then I have to go back and I have to do the school stuff and then I would start my real life. And these things came together and uh, I had to sort of ask myself, you know, is this what you drop out of college for? What are you going to college for? And and one of the things that my, my mentor, one of the ones who was offering me the jobs, he said to me was like, look, you can go back to school and you can read about the things that we were going to work on together or you could come now and be a part of them. And, and that was, so I, I said, you know what, why, why am, why would I not do this right now? I could always go back to school. I can always learn on my own, but maybe I can't do this. And so I, I took the leap and it completely changed the trajectory of my whole life. Thank you for, for sharing that whole, why wouldn't I do it now? Cause I can go back. Cause a lot of times I hear you know guests say they ask themselves what's the worst thing that could happen and that's kind of it wasn't the worst thing but if you end up going back you have that option um, did you have outside pressures that you felt you needed to stay the course of going back to college because it's what you should do per se and that whole story that we hear in our heads uh, were there any people in your life close to you that that you had to try and convince or was that not really the case well, so first off, there's just the conventional wisdom that, you know, dropping out of college is really scary and that mm-hmm. it's bad, that it could it could blow up in your face and your entire, you know, could your entire life could be different, but only in a negative way. Um, and then there was my parents who very much bought into that, much more so than I thought they would have, in, in the sense that I I talked to them about this like several times, that this might happen that this was this thing. And, and we'd had these sort of really interesting open conversations about it. And I thought I had their support. And then when I pulled the trigger on it, you know, they just lost it. And, um, 
you know, in retrospect, I, I get that, you know, the job of a parent is not necessarily to help you fulfill your potential to its utmost. The main job of a parent is to keep you safe, right? Your the job of the parent is not to make sure that you have your dream job. The job of a parent is to make sure that you have a job and that you don't starve to death, right? Mm. And so they, they they reacted extremely negatively, you know, like to the I don't want to call it they disowned me, but that was essentially what happened. Uh, you know, we didn't we didn't speak for quite some time after this. So, yeah, there was an, an incredible pressure, but there was also incredible good pressure. You know, my my girlfriend at the time who would go on and is now my wife um, was sort of like, whatever you want to do, I'll support you. I, I remember I went and I I was I saw her parents right around the time that this happened. And they were like, good for you. You know, I, I, you'll be able to make this happen. And and so it, it was weird to get these sort of two contrasting reactions, one from people who were my actual parents and the, the other from basically two total strangers. So there was, there was a lot of sort of inner conflict about that. And it, it made this very difficult decision much more difficult. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I'm just yeah, thinking it was, about it. not fun. I can't imagine. I, I'm thinking about that reaction and um... – you must have really wanted it because to have that feedback from parents and and to know that there's going to be some uh, distance there as a result of it uh, was that a an indication to you that you were willing to go through that in order to explore this opportunity? You know, there's that that expression they say like it should be hell yes or hell no, and and so I I like that advice, but. When I, w- I, I was thinking about it recently, when I look back at all these, you know, sort of big life changing decisions that I made, I, I made another one when I left my sort of corporate career to become a writer. Actually, it was never like that. Right. Like I there was I, I would say I was like 51, 49 on it. Like, Whoa, um, really? This yeah, is good. <laughs> it, 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 in retrospect, there's always, I think, much more clarity about it. Than than there was at the time, if we're being perfectly honest. And so, to me, it's it's like, is there evidence that this is a good idea? Have you considered how it can go wrong? And then, are you willing to sort of take that leap into the dark? One of the things that I learned from this experience is, so I would say it was like, it, I was really close. Like I remember, I went, I had decided not to do it, and then I kind of allowed myself to be convinced to do it at the last second. Like so, I sort of you know, I like closed my eyes and jumped. Right. And, uh, I remember walk, I remember this very vividly. I walked into the registrar's office at the college I was going to, uh, where I was on a a scholarship that, that, you know, paid for most of my tuition. You know, I, I actually enjoyed school quite a bit. And I went in there and I said, you know, like, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm here to drop out, you know, like what window do I go to? (laughs) You're checking the boxes, right? You're being a good dropout. (laughs) Yeah. You don't just not go because they still send you the bills. So, um, (laughs) and and so I I went and the woman's like, you know, there's not like a form for dropping out of college. You know, she's like, that's not a thing. Um, she's like, you, you take a semester, a leave of absence for one semester and then, it just rolls over if you don't come back. Oh, that sounds better. <laughs> yeah, and, and I was like, oh, so I'm just taking a leave of absence. And, you know, I, I think, like, people, like, I even think when I, you know, when I left my corporate job to become a writer, I, I worked myself up to this thing where I was like, I'm ready to pull the ripcord. And then I went, you know, and I made all these plans, and then I went to my boss and I said, look, I'm, I'm going to leave to become a writer. And they said, 
oh, well, what if you what if we just kept paying you as a consultant, but then you never had to come into the office ever again? And I was like, oh, that's great. We, we, we often I guess my point is we make these things up in our head as being much more drastic than they often actually are. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the transition is typically more granular than it seems when you're on the wrong side of it. Uh, actually, probably in both directions. And so I, it's helped me going forward because I go, oh, these things aren't nearly as drastic as they as they or, or they're not as drastic or as permanent or as un, undoable as they might appear. Mm-hmm. Mm. Great takeaways there. I mean, just the fact that you were open to the possibility that you may not finish college. A lot of people wouldn't have even considered giving that a second look and this curveball is thrown your way opportunity to, to do something. And, and the fact that you didn't have those blinders on, um, Adam Grant has been on this show and he said he got some great advice when he, uh, was making a pretty big decision or no, he was actually just out of school maybe. And a mentor of his said, you know, it's great that you're very driven and you're very specific on exactly where you want to go in your path. But in this, this is not, I'm not quoting him, but he basically said, and that will get in your way. If you have those blinders on that way, you're going to miss some huge opportunities. And it, it was, he was really grateful for that advice, but you had, you had that out of the gate. I mean, here, <laughs> it's, it's great that you mentioned this story because the fact that you you dropped out of college and then as I'm researching you, Ryan, and, and I'm familiar with Ego is the Enemy, and that's how I was first introduced to you. Actually, listening to you on the Tim Ferriss podcast was, was one of the first times I heard you speaking, but I'm researching you and I go to your Wikipedia page and I see you're 30 years old and I'm like, holy buckets. How is this guy 30, only 30? And I feel like you have the wisdom and the miles of a 90-year-old, you know? And and I'm trying to piece this together. And I guess what I'm starting to arrive at is this mentality uh, has allowed you, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's allowed you to live a lot quickly uh, because you've done a lot. <laughs> oh, I got a, I got a little bit of a head start, I guess. So leaving, you know, leaving college put me, you know, let's say I had two years of college left. Maybe I would have graduated a little bit early, but I, you know, I got two years early and I, I think these, these things tend to compound. Uh, I was reading a, an interesting book a few years ago about like basketball players that go, you know, straight from Call uh, high school into the pros. It, you can't do it anymore. But there was this class of athletes that did, and what they found is that there was a learning curve. So you were not as good when you first started because you were so much younger and physically smaller than everyone else. But then when you developed, when all your education and your skills sort of came together, you got it right in your physical prime. So it's like you know, if a mm. if a basketball player's physical prime is like twenty two to 26, let's say, um, do you want 22 to 24 to be your introduction to basketball or do you want to have, have already learned all those things? And so I, I think I was very fortunate in taking this risk. What it, what it, how it worked out is that, you know, I learned a bunch of lessons and skills and formed a number of relationships and things that would compound over time. You know, I got them two or three or four years earlier than I might've otherwise gotten them and it, it sort of put me on an interesting 
uh, and an interesting trajectory. I would say, you know, that was the 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 pro. The con is that you know I wasn't always ready for the. It was it was an incredible amount mm-hmm. of stress and pressure. You know, at 21 and 22 uh, that I was under. That you know, who knows? I'm sure I will go prematurely gray as as much as uh, <laughs> I was premature in in being able to accomplish some of these things. I, I I get that it makes sense, and it's it's kind of a you didn't necessarily have a lot of life experience under your belt to know how to deal with with some of the things that were happening at that age. Um, but yet again, there you had this. Uh, social media and technology wave that was happening at the same time. And it's, it's just talk about a perfect storm. Um, so real quick, you mentioned your transition from corporate world into focusing on writing and that being a big, why not now moment. Can you talk a little bit about that? Was there literally a moment? Yeah. uh, You know, I'm not a big, big believer in epiphanies, but there, I, I, I remember, I worked for these people and I, I worked, I was the director of marketing and American apparel by my 21st birthday. And, uh, as I, I sort of worked my, you know, I'm, I'm running marketing for a publicly traded company. It was, a uh, it was incredibly exciting and interesting. Um, and I remember I went to this conference, um, maybe I was 24, might've been 23. I don't remember, but I went to this conference in New York. I was probably the youngest person there. And I was the only one not wearing a suit. It was an advertising conference. I was the only one not wearing a suit. And it struck me uh, as I looked around that most of these people had been my age uh, before, naturally. And um, that if I came to this conference every year, uh, eventually I would be them, that I would be in a suit. Mm. And I didn't want that for some reason. Like, uh, you know, I saw that as being a sort of a form of death or uh you know, stasis that I did not want. And it's like, I, I saw this thing as a temporary stopover on where I wanted to go. And, and so it sort of made me think, okay, I want to be, I've always wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write books. You know, that was how I'd started in this whole business was that's research assistant to a writer. And so that I needed to make that leap sooner or later, and that it was going to get harder as time went on. And I, I, you know, I ended up making that in, I think, 2011, I moved from Los Angeles to New Orleans basically sold everything that I owned. Uh, my wife and I moved into a, you know, a one bedroom, like studio apartment. Our expenses were next to nothing. And I, I sat down and I tried to write a book on spec and, uh, I did and ended up selling, but it, it was this moment where I was dropping out of the sort of corporate trajectory that I was on, um, for a very different lifestyle, just in the way that, you know, dropping out of college um, was was sort of pulling the ripcord on a on another trajectory. Interesting. So I have a lot of follow up questions to this. I mean, first, just the comment of being at a conference and realizing you don't want to become a suit. That right there, the the fact that you now kind of correlate that and look back and say that was actually a pretty pivotal realization because you ended up changing your your course. Uh, but I, I think it's a reminder to all of us to listen to those feelings and or listen to those those strong thoughts that come through when we're in situations like that because you could have just brushed that off and then continued, but sure. it really truly made a mark and and you took action on the fact that something is as small and, and as menial as people wearing something different around you actually changed 
Um, so paying attention like that is pretty notable. And then as you you change swim lanes too, right? Yeah. And and there was a Hollywood agent. I used to be uh, kind of in that in that world with my first company, and he said to me once, "Amy, stay in your swim lane. You got to stay in your swim lane because at the time." My company was growing. Things were great. We we're getting a lot of attention, so on and so forth. And I wanted to to try something else, not completely, but just experiment into a little bit of a different swim lane. And and it stuck with me because I had so much respect for him. But ended up, you know, actually going ahead and trying something else. And I think there's so much uh, conversation and and banter about you got to stay in one thing and grow and and keep going. And that's how you move up and succeed, but really innovation is when we start to mix things that haven't been mixed as much before. And so do you think you're going to change swim lanes again? I might. There's a, in one of my favorite books, it's, uh, it's, um, the adventures of Duddy Kravitz. I believe that's the title. I might be getting it wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And there's a line in the book that I like where he says, you know, like he says, a child can be many things, uh, but uh, a man can only be one. He murders the others. And I think I think what it is, what the way I see it is that when you're younger, you're all these different things. You want to do a little bit of this and you want to do a little bit of that. But you have to kill off it. You have to it's a it's a narrowing of the focus. And so it it it, it was that I I was in two lanes. The way I would see it is not that I changed lanes but that it was I was in two lanes and I narrowed it down to one lane, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like a writer. I, I saw myself as having the potential to be a writer and doing this writing stuff on the side. And then I also had this corporate you know, job as a marketer and, I, and, and that, that I had to decide on one of them. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was eliminating one and, and zooming in on the writing thing. And so, um, and in college, you know, maybe college is a third one that I was. So it's this narrowing down this process of becoming who you're going to become is sort of how I saw it. Just a more like refinement and kind of doubling down on what you, the writing versus interesting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like suddenly pick up physics or something. You know, right, it that's was, true. It, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't. You know, and I actually, I, those things can be very dangerous, I think, where someone's like, look, you know, I'm a doctor, but really my dream is to be a yoga teacher in Thailand. I know I have no experience in this, and I haven't laid the groundwork for this in any way, but I'm selling all my things and moving to Bali. Like that, to me, that's where those people wake up and they're like, I've made a huge mistake. To me, this was like, you know, when I dropped out of college, not to go figure out what I wanted to do, but because I had an opportunity and, and, uh, you know, I'd already laid the groundwork for being a writer. Now it was just a, okay, I'm really going to actually make this bet here. Now that's a, that's a different, completely different frame. And I appreciate that because that term swim lane isn't, I think it's sometimes, is, or just stay in your lane or whatever people say, it's overused. And, and I just realized it's actually, if I look back to every time I've shifted, it hasn't been towards some bizarre area that I'd never <laughs> been in before. It's more of a, a gradual uh, right. energy shift into something that was already there, but just putting more focus into it or something. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about ego is the enemy because it, it really meant a lot to me and, and it was, thank you. yeah, thank you for writing it. And I, um, 
had gone through a season of, of humbling experiences and ended up uh, moving onto a boat and living on a boat for a while. And I think this was my attempt to simplify life, but I, I took it very literally and um, realized you don't have to move to a boat to simplify your life. But also, right. I, I think partially, I there was a period of time where, you know, my ego definitely got the best of me. And I think there was a desire and craving to go live live on the ocean where I knew how powerful it was. And it was kind of like a uh, realization of how trying to put myself in like ego timeout almost. And right. so <laughs> as I was moving, then I decided to, my husband and I moved to the forest in South Dakota. So as we're driving, I hear your podcast with one of them. You've probably did many with Tim Ferriss, but you're having a conversation with him. I learn about the book. Then I I'm literally driving across country and I'm like downloading, of course, listening to the book on Audible. And one of the things, and I've referred back to it many times since, but one of the things that you talk about is, I think his name is John Boyd. And you talk about to be somebody or to do something, to be or to do. Can you zoom in a little bit on that? And I don't want to spend too much time on the book because I know you've talked about it so much in the past, but... I just adore it. So to be or to do, what does that mean? Yeah, it, it's actually something I, I learned really early on in my career. I think it was very influential. So John Boyd is maybe the greatest military strategist, uh, you know, sort of the post-World War II generation. And he was this sort of tireless fighter of bureaucracy inside the Pentagon. And, and he was sort of this meticulous groomer of talent. And as he would see all these ambitious young men, mostly young men at that time, uh, come through his office, and as he would sort of groom them and train them and mentor them, he would at one at some point eventually give them all this speech. And the speech was called the to do or to be speech. And he would basically say, look, you're on this road, and this you're going to come to a fork in that road. And, and one of the directions of the road is going to get you promoted it's going to get you, you know, important positions. Uh, you're going to, you know, you're going to see your name in the newspaper. Um, you're going to have a lot of, you know, awards on your chest. Uh, but it's going to challenge you ethically, right? And then he said, on the other side, there's this path of doing, right? Um, you might be the unsung hero. You might be the deliverer of unpopular news. You might be taking lonely stands about things, and you may, in fact, be punished. Uh, for making these decisions, because you're going to be the squeaky wheel. Um, and he said, so to to do or to be, do you want to be an important person or do you want to do the important things, right? You know, do you want to symbolize the military or do you want to actually sort of get your hands dirty and make the things happen? Um, and And so, you know, I think we can often confuse uh, the I'll give you a publishing analogy. The number of authors that uh, I talk to, or let's say aspiring authors, who want to have a best-selling book versus the number of them who want to put in the work to make a book that deserves to be a bestseller mm-hmm. and then to market it in a legitimate uh, sort of uh, authentic way rather than, let's say, buying this accomplishment uh, is alarmingly small, right? And, and so... Um, I guess what Boyd is saying on how I've tried to live my life is that, you know, look, you can chase the sort of flash and status or you can 
dedicate yourself to substance and significance. And and I just try to use that as a, a benchmark in my own life. I love it. And I, I think the reason it resonates so much is because I definitely have felt that historically, maybe prior to a couple of years ago, I was in one camp <laughs> and had a conscious decision to to try and, and really live and be in the other. And so for people who are listening to this right now and they're thinking, wow, like I've had, I had that moment of shit. I think I actually have been more of the to be and I don't want to be. <laughs> How do I shift? Are there any key things you, you would suggest to them as a first thought on how to, to look and rearrange? I think the, the first sort of, you know, are you being or doing or, you know, however you want to describe it is, is you know, sort of what is your relationship to credit, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you someone who obsesses about credit or are you someone who obsesses about results and impact? And... You know, one is about status and the other is about results. And so I think particularly early on in your career, making sure that, you know, you don't care about credit. In fact, can you actually actively work for other people to get credit, right? Can you be a person who contributes uh, sort of uh, thanklessly uh, is a great way to sort of build those habits early on in your life. I really appreciate, Ryan, your ability to distill and communicate information in a way that's so impactful. Just like that right there. Like, what is your relationship to credit? Boom. Perfect place to start for for someone who's wanting to maybe hop the fence from to be to do. Uh, Okay, so I have this burning question and just I can't wait to hear more about your neighbor, Richard who's 112 years old, is that correct? And the oldest veteran, yeah, he's, living veteran he's, in America? Yeah, he's 112 years old. He's about a block and a half away from me. I was actually going to go hopefully see him in a little bit. Um, he uh, he now lives on Richard Overton Street. Uh, they named it after him, which is pretty cool. Um, but uh, I was reading an article. I, I, I live in Austin, and I was reading an article about this guy. His name is Richard. He's the they said he's the oldest living veteran in the United States, and so I just sent. Uh, I sent. He, he's his caretaker is his, I think his grand, his great grand nephew. So so it, it's he's wow. outlived basically everyone uh, ever related to him. Um, but he was born in 1906. He he was uh, drafted in at like 35 or 36. He fought in the Pacific, and he's 112 years old. He sits on his porch and he smokes cigars and drinks whiskey every day. He's sort of living the life. And um, I, I I've been lucky enough to go and spend some time with him, and it's just been an incredible experience. Um, you're just next to someone who, you know, it. it I met him, I think, shortly after Trump was elected. And not to make a political point, but these are turbulent, chaotic, divisive times. And it was interesting just to, you know, sit next to someone who has just experienced basically all of the chaotic events of the 20th century. And it sort of gives you this sense of, look, no matter how bad things seem right now, there's sort of a rhythm to history and relax a little bit and sort of take it as it comes. It's been very, very helpful. Oh, this is the coolest. And so how did you originally get in touch with his caretaker? Did you just reach out over 
Yeah, they were raising they were raising money on a Kickstarter campaign um, for his medical care or a crowdfunding campaign for his uh, medical care because like the VA would let him come live in the hospital, but he wants to stay in a house in his house. He built this house in like 1947 or something. He's lived there as uh, you know almost 70 years, and so uh, I I was like, look, I I would love to write about this, um, and we just sort of struck up a friendship. I love it. So so here's a guy who was born when Theodore Roosevelt was president, right? Yes. And you you might go over and hang out on his porch with him later today. And what are you going to talk about? Do you come with questions? Do you just come to hang out? Uh, no, it's, it's hard <laughs> to ask him too many questions. Uh, he doesn't hear everything. But you sort of – I don't know. It's just very, very peaceful and, yeah. and relaxing. Um, he's just sort of, you know, doing his thing. That's so cool. That's so cool. Wow. What a, what a neat relationship, too, to have that point of view. I loved what you said about um, history having a rhythm. It gives us a little bit of a – I feel like we have a little bit of insurance or just uh, we can maybe not stress so much knowing that he's been through a thing or two and has some wisdom to share. I, I have a couple of just quick questions, one-offs that I'm just curious to get your your okay. thoughts on, one of which is, so we just had the Golden Globes, and there's all these rumors about Oprah running in 2020 for president. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I, would, I would hope that we wouldn't, uh, you know, ad- address, uh, you know, try to solve one mistake by another mistake. I mean, obviously, Oprah's a very successful business person. Uh, it seems like a smart lady, but... Uh, I, I would I, th- I think what's particularly worrying politically right now is our collapse of norms and sort of reason and uh, principles. And so to me, the way you address those is not by overcompensating in the wrong direction, but by sort of insisting. I mean, I think the solution to a, a person who's wildly unqualified for office and has no experience is to pick someone who is very qualified for office by nature of the fact that they have a lot of experience and relationships in politics and all these things. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing. And I definitely didn't mean to get super political. It's just an interesting current event right now. Sure. I really respect your opinion. Um, your The book that you're working on now that you said comes out, did you say March, May? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell, can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, it's a, a bit of a departure uh, from my other books. It sort of connects into the political discussion we're having now, but it's about um, a conspiracy. This um, Peter Thiel, the the billionaire, Mm -hmm. uh, the founder of PayPal, the first inventor in Facebook, he spent 10 years sort of in this secret battle uh, against Gawker Media, a a website that many people believe to be this sort of unaccountable bully. And, uh, you know, they'd outed him as gay um, they, they'd written a number of really nasty things about other people. He sort of felt like it was this force for evil in the world. And, and he's, he set out to destroy them. And, and ultimately, you know, the, the ending is public, but ultimately he succeeded. And so it's about, you know, what it means and how it works to sort of set down and have this sort of wildly ambitious, maybe even deranged, uh, secret plan to reshape the world. You know, whether you agree with what he did or not, I'm fascinated by how he did it. And that's sort of what the book's about. 
Very interesting. And this is this is different for you. And yeah. intentional decision, clearly, were you craving a, a different side of writing or just that fascinated about the story? What made you uh, give this angle a try? Well, I think it goes back to your first question of why not now. I had... Uh, a relationship with a, a number of the people that were involved in the story mm-hmm. and it sort of fell in my lap and I just, it, it was an incredible story and I felt like uh, I would regret not writing about it. And so uh, it was way out of my depth. It took a huge, you know, it was a risk. It might not work. Um, I think, but I think it ultimately made me a much better writer. It was the hardest thing I've written and and so I said, why not? Let's try it. And, uh, and you know, now, now I have this book. There you go. I'm excited to read it. I have a feeling it will read like fiction. And um, sometimes those are the best where it's, it's real. You can learn from it. But it's so inter- almost entertaining and, and captivating. So Yeah. Yeah, good deal. A couple of rapid-fire questions. Okay. And I'll let you off the hook here. Pirates or ninjas, who's tougher and why? Uh, that's a good question. I'd probably say pirates, uh, since they travel long distances away from land, uh, whereas ninjas, you know, are live at home. So thanks for the rationale and the backup there. And what are you reading right now? Uh, that is a good question. I just finished a book about Mr. Rogers. Uh, really? Called I'm So Proud of You, uh, written by one of his friends who had this sort of, uh, life-changing relationship with Mr. Rogers before he died. Uh, I, I, I don't know why I ended up reading him, but it was really fascinating. Oh, interesting. Wow. Um, what keeps you up at night? Uh, I have a, like a 14, 15-month-old, so mostly that. Literally, right? Okay. Yes. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. And my final question, what advice would you give to your younger self? And you can choose what age that might be. Oh yeah, I have an answer. I always just say relax. Um, you know, yeah. I, I when I look back at most of the things that I was upset about or stressed about or worried about, I was just taking things way too seriously. So, um, and and most of what I was worried about or what I, you know, was a felt was like a matter of life or death really had no impact on, you know, where I've ended up. And so that that's that's always the answer. Mm, that's interesting. And even thinking about your answer earlier with the most of your decisions were like 4951. It wasn't the clear, oh, I knew a 99%. This was the right, right way to go. If you combine that with relax, knowing that there's, yeah, it, it, it says a lot <laughs> about about what you've done and where you've come from. So thank you so much for taking the time with me. I'm excited to read your new book and I just am grateful. Well, thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. Hit me up on social media to let me know what you think. I'm at Amy Jo Martin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I want to hear your Why Not Now moments so I can share them on the show. Just send me a note to whynotnow at amyjomartin.com. For show notes and other offers, you can visit amyjomartin.com forward slash whynotnow. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for my email newsletter for exclusive content and announcements. 
A big thanks to Rock Salt Music for all of the tunes by the talented John Coggins. And of course, a hat tip to Richard Gruer for editing and producing the show. I'll see you next time. And until then, why not now? Oh,